It's Friday, December 14th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Maria Butina admits to being a secret agent. The Russian gun rights proponent, who cultivated close ties to the NRA and conservative political figures, pled guilty to acting as an agent of the Russian government. She has agreed to cooperate with investigators, which could help shed light on Russian spying and interference efforts. Kyle Cheney, congressional reporter for Politico, joins us to talk about Maria Butina, Russian secret agent. Next, meat is experiencing an evolution. We have gone from grass-fed to lab-grown. And when you hear about lab-grown meat, it usually takes the form of a ground meat patty. But now, an Israeli startup has made the world's first lab-grown steak. This has been the holy grail of the lab-grown meat industry for some time. To make a piece of steak that has the taste, texture, and mouthfeel of the real thing. Jason Bellini, video correspondent for the Wall Street Journal, joins us to discuss his trip to try the world's first lab-grown steak, and most importantly, how it tasted. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. She developed a very close relationship with senior officials at the NRA who became her guides and navigators in, in the world of conservative politics. So they would connect her to people in these sessions where they would talk politics and she would try to glean information about it and, and how to reach certain people with certain messages. Joining us now is Kyle Cheney, congressional reporter for Politico. Some time ago, we had heard about Maria Butina. She was a Russian spy and everybody started letting their imaginations fly. What's going on? You know, Russian spies again in our midst. She was a gun rights proponent. She cultivated a lot of ties close to the NRA and conservative political figures. She pled guilty to acting as an agent for the Russian government. Uh, So what do we know about her plea deal? And tell us a little bit more about her story also. This actually is one of the more straight, you know, kind of ripped from a spy novel situations. You had the young woman who's about, 30, I think she's 30, came here a few years ago to study, ostensibly to study at American University in grad school, and I pleaded guilty to acting as an agent for the Russian government while she was here to gather information on political figures, really develop relationships with higher-ranking people in the Republican Party and at the NRA to try to get intelligence for Russian government. So it was a pretty stunning admission to say it out loud that, yes, I did this, really brings it home, so that's still sinking in. They said that she laid the groundwork for an unofficial channel of communication. How close Mm -hmm. did she actually get to that? And this is communication between people at the NRA and in the conservative party Mm -hmm. to Russian officials. Like how close was this? She developed a very close relationship with senior officials at the NRA who became her guides and navigators in in the world of conservative politics. So they would connect her to people in these sessions where they would talk politics and she would try to glean information about it and and deliver that back. Some of the standard issue kind of political talk, but some, you know, it's about how to reach certain people with certain messages. They're kind of use that to manipulate and try to manipulate sort of the direction, where they think the direction of the party is going, who they think might be the best candidate to try to manipulate. And so there's all kinds of ways to use that information and she was getting access to a lot of it. We talk about how close she got to everybody. She schmoozed with Republican presidential candidates. She spent Thanksgiving at Congressman Mark Sanford's house. There's a, it was a huge party for a lot of people. She yep. took a Trump campaign aide to see the rock band Sticks. So she got pretty yep. close on that front. But a lot of who it revolves around is a guy named Paul Erickson, who they describe yep. as a GOP operative. Who's that guy? He's the one. So he is... Uh, 
tied in at the highest levels of the NRA, a well-known Republican operative. So he and someone she had a romantic relationship with. I don't want to say she used him because I think their romantic relationship, at least by some accounts, was, was genuine. But through her relationship with him, was able to access some of those people in politics and he would connect her with them. And he is clearly of interest to prosecutors, though he hasn't been charged with sort of helping her achieve her goals. Early on, when we heard about Maria Butina, they were spinning the story, Russian spy, red hair, and that mm-hmm. she was using sex as part of the spy craft. But the prosecutors backed off of that whole thing. And they did even acknowledge that she really did want to get a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. So uh, why did they back off of that? What happened there? I think they went too far out over their skis in some of the earlier filings. I think there was a suggestion they misinterpreted some of the text messages they had obtained from her. There's something she said as a joke. They interpreted it as a serious suggestion that she was using sex to get information. They acknowledged that in a filing. Uh, I don't know if they actually apologized if they did say they got that one wrong. And, uh, and <laughs> I would hope, I would hope so. On that. Court. Yeah, that, that one was really what made it sound like it was straight out of like the American or some little Russian spy novel. This is separate from Robert Mueller's probe. Uh, The FBI Mm -hmm. had been looking into her and into the Russian interference before Donald Trump even became president. Right. And and so while it has a lot of issues in common with the Mueller probe, not totally clear why he isn't handling it. I think maybe because it does predate the Trump campaign, but also could just be Mueller parceling out different tasks to different parts of the Justice Department as he's been doing more of lately. Is she expected to get any type of prison time? I've been reading that it could be very short or Mm -hmm. likely just get out of jail now because she's been in jail since this whole thing started some months now. Right. Well, the charges she pleaded to has a five-year term maximum, but with her cooperation, that's the big thing is the big buzzword is cooperation. How much can she help prosecutors with other potential crimes and if she can, they may give her a much shorter sentence, if not no jail time at all. So she has admitted it now that she was in contact with Russian officials and they have all sorts of text messages or tweet conversations. Yep. I forget which it is back and forth where she's saying, hey, are you guys ready to meet with so and so and this and that or right. how to approach these things? What have Russian officials said about her and about this whole uh, situation? Well, it's funny because they, uh, the, the Russian foreign ministry has been very vocal about this and saying that you know, she's, her rights are being abused by the U.S. and she's being kept in terrible conditions. They've used her face as their Twitter profile <laughs> yeah, photo uh, for months. But now Vladimir Putin, Russian president, says a couple days ago, oh, I've never heard of this woman. No one no one in my government ever heard of this woman. It's just news to us, all this, all this stuff that they're talking about. So they're trying to have it both ways to a degree. Wow. All right. Well, we can close the chapter on this one Russian spy down. Kyle Cheney, congressional reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. What we're going to try today are the first thin slices of steaks we have produced in a lab setting. I think this is going to be the greatest revolution in the history of modern agriculture. There's a technology that exists that allows us to, I mean, for all intents and purposes, have our bacon and eat it too, without any pigs being harmed. Cultured meat, lab-grown meat, clean meat. Joining us now is Jason Bellini, video correspondent at The Wall Street Journal. You got to do something that I am very jealous of because I've been reading about this stuff for so long and for the longest time I've just wanted to taste this for myself. You made a great video for the Wall Street Journal about how meat is evolving and we're talking about lab-grown or clean meat. You got to go to a couple places. You went to uh, 
the Just Foods company where they you tried out a chicken nugget and you went to this Israeli-based company called Aleph Farms where you tried the first lab-grown piece of steak. So tell us about the evolution of meat and then at the end we'll get into what this all tasted like. It's evolving rapidly, it appears. There are a number of companies that are in this space that are racing to create products that will either show up in restaurants, show up in stores. Right now, the regulations haven't caught up yet. So they're still working in the labs, trying to get things right, and then they're going to convince the regulators in the U.S. and around the world that it's healthy. You mentioned Just Foods. That was a company we visited out in San Francisco with the chicken nugget. They're saying that they think that they can have this chicken nugget in a restaurant somewhere in Asia. They wouldn't be more specific than that before the end of the year. They think they're in the final stretch of getting it approved by regulators, which would be a, a pretty major milestone. This could be one of the major disruptors of our time if this really gets up to speed. And there's so many benefits to it. It uses less energy, less land. Greenhouse gases are far less, less water usage to make these things. And then on top of that, you know, for people that are a fan of animals, you, you don't have to slaughter animals for this also. Could be huge. Now, their number of obstacles still to overcome. For it to be a true disruptor, they're going to have to get the price point yeah. down to a place where you can buy it in your grocery store at a price that's on par with the meat that's now available. How long that will take is anyone's guess. The scholars that we've spoken to that are studying this technology, they're saying that this could be an enormous leap forward for humanity because we could move from this industrial farming agriculture system to one in which meats are produced in laboratories and there are no animals harmed, far fewer resources required to do it. And we could be eating all kinds of meat. If you're able to get stem cells from just about any animal, we could be eating meat from koala bears. Who knows? I don't necessarily <laughs> uh, want to try that myself, but there, there really is no limit. In fact, I asked one researcher whether you could even take human cells and grow them into meat. And she said, well, yeah, I guess you <laughs> suppose you could. But we um, won't tell you about it first. <laughs> it was, well, I said, well, here's my suggestion to him. I said, you know, you could uh, make uh, human meatballs. And know what you could call them? What do you call them? Cannibals. <laughs> there you go. Do you like Cannibals. that? <laughs> so, okay, so let's talk about the chicken nugget first. How did that one taste? And the chicken nugget with lab-grown chicken it tasted really just like a chicken nugget. I don't want to compare it to McDonald's, but most chicken nuggets, it's an amalgam of meat. It's right. not like a chicken breast. It's not structured. What really drives the taste of a chicken nugget, I'm sorry to say, is not the chicken itself. I think it's the actual coating around it. And yeah. so we never actually get to see the meat before it had the coating on it. Uh, neither company wanted us to, to look at that. I think that's because they didn't want viewers of the video to see it. They're, that may not be ready for prime time yet. They're still working on the color and the texture and the look of this stuff. Tons of taste is really good. That was one of the things I noticed about the video that you made that they didn't want to show it to you raw. And that was one of the big questions because I was wondering, is it red just like meat? Does it have that fleshy tone? Because when you cook it, obviously things change. It caramelizes and whatnot, and it turns takes a brown color to it. But I, w I was wondering if it was red just like muscles and stuff. I wonder that too, and don't know, and it's not for lack of trying. Like we tried <laughs> to convince these companies, let us see the raw meat. And but just let me see it, even if we can't put it on camera, so I can at least just talk about it. They weren't into that. 
Okay, so let's move on to the lab-grown steak from Aleph Farms. That right there, each little cut that you tried was about $50. I think it took about two weeks or so to develop. They get cells and then they grow them in petri dishes, right? Get cells, grow them in petri dishes. But what they're doing with the steak is a bit different from what we experienced with the chicken nugget, which was that kind of amorphous meat, whereas this it was designed, the steak was designed to be like a steak, to have fat, blood vessels, and achieve the texture, and, and of course muscle cells, get all those together, and they put them on a lattice structure. And the science behind this, that's been developed in the biomedical industry for creating skin and for creating some body tissues. This, the, the technology that they were using to make these steaks, which were very thin, I mean, they were probably two or three credit cards in thickness and not much bigger than that. But anyway, they adapted technology from biomedical science. In labs, they've been working on creating human tissues that could be given to burn victims, for example, used in different types of treatments. Well, that same technology, and actually I've even seen organs that are being grown using a latticework and taking stem cells and growing them on this latticework. Well, they have an edible latticework that they use to grow these steaks. And wow. so their goal is to make eventually a fairly thick steak and it have it be the same consistency. But I mean, many people consider that to be the holy grail of lab-grown right. meat. If you can make a steak that's indistinguishable from one that we are used to, how long that will take to get there, that's probably a few years away. That's what they're saying. But they feel like they've proven the concept and they proved it to me. It tasted to me like a normal steak after it was cooked. And it was also about the same consistency. You cut into it and you the same way you would a steak. Was there, I know you were there to, for this story, but was there any apprehension in your mind, like kind of questioning, like, ah, do I really want to taste this? Because obviously you know the process in which it was made. Was there any type of that working in your head while you were tasting it? I'm a little bit more daring than I should be in life. So I had no trepidation. I did have <laughs> to good. sign a waiver saying that I would that they would assume no liability for my trying that. But that's because the regulators haven't approved it. But I was quite confident that they weren't going to be hurting me. Yeah. They certainly don't want to do their first journalist to try their steak. They don't want him to have an upset stomach. So I think that plenty of people <laughs> internally had tried it before I had, and it turned out just fine. So the taste and the texture were there. What about fat? Because fat is very important in meat for the flavor and for, and for the texture there as well. Did it have any fat on it or did it just resemble the taste? It had fat. It had fat. They said that when they make these steaks, they're, taking the same stem cells, but they are able to coax those stem cells into producing different types of cells, muscle cells, blood vessel cells, and fat cells. That's all in the fluid that they use to feed these cells in the laboratory, in the Petri dish effectively. And that matrix of nutrients and proteins that they feed the cells to grow, that's their secret sauce. And all these companies are keeping the formula very close to the vest. And the critics of this meat say, well, that's the problem. We don't know what they're feeding to these cells. Are there antibiotics in them? These right. companies won't say. They're not saying what goes in there. How about the smell of it? Did it smell like, because uh, you were there while the chef was cooking it. Did it smell like meat that was being cooked? 
It did, and it it had sizzle, and that's certainly one yeah. thing you want from a steak. And I I think that the steak benefited from a celebrated Israeli chef being the one to prepare it. I love um, the way <laughs> I love the way he prepared it in the video. It's so great. I I suggest everybody go take a look at it. it. Had little mushrooms on. It had a perfect little sauce on the bottom. It looked like a professional chef cooked it, so it looked great on the plate. Yes, they were very concerned about the presentation as they made their debut to the world of this product. And uh, I think they they put their best foot forward for us, that's for sure. And you talked about detractors. There's people that are concerned with what's in it. Obviously, like you said, if there's other hormones or whatnot in there, there's also pushback from the producers of animals and traditional meat, let's say. In Missouri, they have laws on the books to regulate the word meat. You can't call things that are not grown or not part of an animal, you can't call them meat. I would assume that they'd want this to be classified the same way. So there is pushback on this type of meat as well. Right. And it appears that law that you're referring to was preemptive because they're concerned. The industry is concerned that there's going to be these products out there and they perhaps see a threat. Uh, They don't want to quite call it that yet. The ranchers that I spoke with, they're not willing to admit that this is an existential threat to their livelihood, but they're keeping very close track. The industry trade groups representing the ranchers are keeping very close track on this to see what happens. And yes, they would prefer that it not be labeled as meat, not be called meat, whereas the CEO that we spoke to from Just, he's fighting for that label. He He's saying this is meat, it's real cells. What's the difference other than it, you didn't have to kill an animal to get it? And so it should be called meat. So there's going to be a food fight over this going forward. The other thing the ranchers wanted for it to be regulated by the USDA the same way that their meat is, the same health and safety standards, but they don't want it to be called the same thing as their products. When all is said and done, you... You've done a lot of research on this. You got to go out there and taste the the early iterations of this. What do you think? Is this going to be in our future? I mean, I know there's companies are putting tons of money and, and effort into this, but do you think this would take off in a restaurant, in a marketplace, pulling up to the, the counter and saying, hey, let me get a pound of that lab-grown meat? Is this going to be the future? My impression is yes, but I think the early adopters maybe people like vegans who right. want to try meat and want to be eat, eat, eat meat without the guilt that they see, they would feel if they were eating it. We even spoke with a rabbi in Israel and asked him, he was a conservative rabbi, mind you, and we asked him, well, would you eat this meat? And would you, what about pork? Would you eat pork that was lab-grown? Is that kosher? And he says, well, they're still discussing it, but his inclination is that, yes, that this wow. would be kosher, that we could eat this. So it may serve a niche market at first, especially as it'll probably be more expensive than uh, the standard variety meat that we know in the stores. But you know, it's a question of how fast they can ramp this up and build this at scale. And I, I think that in terms of the infrastructure, it may resemble beer making, beer brewing. That's what few people told us who are working on this, is that you'll have these giant vats, what they call biogenerators, and they'll use those to produce these things in large quantities eventually. But first, they got to get the formulation right, and that's what they're all working on. And the formulation is really what they're feeding the cells, what makes them grow and grow quickly and see what you want them to be. Wow. It's fascinating. And as I said at the beginning, 
I'm jealous because I want to try these. I wanted to eat these things. Jason Bellini, video correspondent at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Oscar. It was fun. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.